As you all know, Art and I are big supporters of organics, so we are really excited to say that this episode of Well and Good is brought to you by Series Organics. They have a really wide range of certified organic products, chemical-free and with no genetic modification at all, ensuring a healthy future for you, your families and the planet. Hey guys. Oh, kia ora. So today we have Mr. James Smith on the podcast and James is probably the world's fastest growing online PT. He's got more than 620,000 Instagram followers. And counting. <laughs> and counting. Fastest growing on Instagram or fastest growing in real life? As in like, is he like growing physically? Possibly a bit of both. Mm. Oh, we should have asked him that. He's also a best-selling author, a public speaker, and he's got a really refreshing approach to health and fitness. Yeah, because he's he just tells it like it is. You know, he calls out the BS. I feel like that's his thing, is, is calling out the BS in the health and fitness mm. industry. Um, so we talk about his biggest gripes in health and fitness, how making small changes to your lifestyle is better than radical upheavals, and even his background playing rugby in North Otago. He's British, by the way, so that is quite a cool fact. Mm. Shout out to Omaru. <laughs> yeah, more than anything, he seems to be about making health and fitness work for you, not the other way around, which is something I can bloody get behind. Mm. Well, enjoy the listen. Well, howdy, James. Well, good morning. <laughs> yeah, good afternoon, good morning, wherever it is. Wherever you are. <laughs> so, um, James, there's uh, probably a few of our listeners will know who you are, but equally, um, some of them probably won't. Uh, you're a best-selling author, you're an online PT, you've got a huge following on social media, um, and uh, would you be able to just give us a bit of a background about yourself, where you're from, uh, how you got into doing what you're doing and why you do it? So I'm a POM from the UK, uh, <laughs> interesting for your listeners in New Zealand, I used to play rugby there uh, about eight oh, years ago. Oh, love that. So I was in North Otago, uh, so I was living in Omaru. And a lot of people say to me, what on earth were you doing in Omaru? Um, and when, do you know, that's, that's really what, what kicked off everything. I played there and I realized that not many of the boys were, uh, you know, they were eating good diets, they were lifting weights and they were doing their fitness. And I was like, I think I might be onto something here. Uh, and the, the culture of kind of training with rugby players at a high level to me got me this hungry taste for fitness and training and programming. And I went back to the UK and within a year I became a personal trainer spent the majority of my time uh, on the gym floor, just doing a normal job in a very normal part of the UK. And I came to Australia about three and a half years ago. And I suppose I was incredibly fortunate that just as I got to this time in my career where I could take online clients, it was when video content was starting to boom on social media. And I suppose I kind of got on that wave just at the perfect time. And I've ridden it to this point uh, to capitalize on a following on, on Facebook and Instagram and now I run an online personal training academy and write the odd book. So I think that would probably be the best way I could summarize it for listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice. So, so what, um, you're kind of known as someone that calls out bullshit in the health and fitness industry. What bullshit is it that you call out? <laughs> what stuff don't you like? So there, it's probably like a two-pronged attack. I mean, the the first part would definitely be the stuff I was misled by, where I was doing my hip workouts at university. I was jumping around my front room like a knob. I had uh, 
when I worked in a professional life, I had a, a drawer full of supplements. You know, I had my test boosters, my BCAAs. I had all this random shite I didn't need. And I was very confused. And I was, I'd read blogs on like T Nation of like, you know, all of these different things. And I was very much left in the dark. Then we had the other side of when I PT'd people and they'd come in and they'd tell me about different fads and stuff they were doing and putting lemon in their water and removing carbohydrates. My friends told me this and there was definitely a lot of pent up frustration from not only my own issues, but from what my clients were doing. And I would have to slap that out of them and be like, you're being daft, you're being an absolute idiot. And I kind of put that into a social media channel so I could communicate with people that weren't my clients. And um, I suppose... You, you kind of create a, a voice in the industry and the following really helped me call out these people where if you get enough momentum behind you, it can actually affect these charlatans. And uh, yeah, I suppose people then, I, every time something happens in the industry, people are straight away knocking on my door. They're like, James, sort this person out. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's like a part-time job now. Yeah, because I guess in in the whole fitness industry, there's so much information and I feel like there's so much conflicting information as well. You know, you've got to have protein within 20 minutes and then you've got to do hit this amount of times, but then that's too much. That's you've, not enough. You've got to eat 58 yeah. small meals a day to boost your metabolism. <laughs> and really, do you, do you think it's just a lot more simple than that? Like what's your kind of ethos when it comes to nutrition and fitness? I think that people often uh, mistake optimization with epitomization. Uh, and so we have that on one side. Then we've got a lot of people that are in good shape don't really know what they're doing. They're just very good at sticking to the rules. You know, you get an idiot on chicken and broccoli, he looks like an expert. You can't get away with that in other realms. And, um, you know, someone who's hugely insecure, narcissistic and obsessed suddenly is perceived, well, he must know what he's on about. Look at him. And then we have these kind of debates where people are kind of having cock-offs to see who's got the biggest dick of, you know, like optimization. So on one side, they're like, you know, five meals a day, 0.4 grams of protein per kilogram. And then everyone's like, you're chirping up, but the poor consumer is left there very confused. And then, you know, five meals a day is great, but three, you'll be fine. You know, uh, doing, uh, you know, this type of exercise is, is great, but training three times a week, adhering to whatever you have available is fine going to the gym is great but if you have a trx at home it's fine and so many people are now button heads and losing sleep the consumer which is general pop for the majority of the world are the guys that are left behind now thinking can i do i eat before or after i train i mean my mom and dad have no knowledge of fitness but if i told my mom that eating too little would hinder fat loss she'd call me an idiot and if i've got in a debate with my dad about whether or not to eat before i train he'd be like do what you want and we've got so far removed from that. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's um, It can can be a little confusing. Like I remember a few years ago I had this, I joined this little app community thing. Well, I was probably like seven years ago or something of um, people basically trying to get in shape. And everyone thought that they were professionals, I guess. And I remember this one person that really went on about you've got to spike your um, blood sugar straight after a workout. So he'd like go and do a workout. Maybe he'd tinker around on on a bike or, I don't know, do a, do a couple of pull-ups. And then he'd have a whole baguette and a handful of gummy bears at the end. <laughs> and there was this little thing. And then I thought, oh, should I be having a whole baguette and some gummy bears at the end of my, I don't know, jog around the block? It's just, it's so confusing. Mm. 
Would you have a hobby? <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where I've heard of some people do uh, like having a can of Coke after a, a workout. And from, from a hypothetical standpoint, you're like, okay, you've depleted glycogen. There's a requirement for carbohydrates. And people kind of make up their own science. Like um, they go, well, if you go to the gym and you haven't eaten, you know, your body's got no choice. They humanize everything to the point where it's going to have to do this. And then you kind of sit back and pragmatically you're like, you know, whether if you have a credit card, if you buy something, whether you put the money in the account before or after, it works out the same. And uh, it does oversimplify calories. But when you say that to someone, they're like, oh, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. And personal preference is always put to the side now. And yeah, there's some daft stuff where, you know, if you're an athlete, you know, maybe having a Jaffa cake or some gummy bears would be a good idea. And, and when I played rugby in New Zealand, they used to have sweets at half time. And it makes sense, you know, your, yeah. your glucose availability is lower, have them. Uh, if I ever got sent off, I'd always put them in my socks and uh, <laughs> eat them under the posts. Uh, but yeah. And uh, I remember getting a few weird looks about that. But yeah, and, and people are getting far removed and now people are, like you say, eating gummy bears after a workout. You're like, mate, you've had enough of those. That's why you're using me as a PT. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and these are people that maybe should just stick to the working out and, you know, leave the, the gummy bears at home. Yeah. So what other stuff like that do you see or hear that are kind of training and nutrition myths that um, you, well, yeah, that sort of grind your gears? So first of all is uh, fasting. So like everyone's become a fasting expert. And first of all, there are people out there charging money for fasting coaching and there's fasting apps like, I don't mean to oh burst God. their bubbles, but it, it's, it's not eating. Like, it, how can you charge p- people money for that? You know, they're like, hey. It's, a bre- it's like a breathing coach. Yeah, well, yeah. There are breathing coaches, actually. Yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> you get to that point where you're like, so these are your hours. And they're like, okay, so what do I need to know? Well, just don't eat in those hours. And you know what? I think that a lot of people that implement fasting or shortened feeding windows, they do lose fat ultimately because they eat less. And there are a lot of benefits for a lot of people that lose fat. But now it's almost gone too far where everyone's like, oh, you know, you couldn't possibly be healthy eating in a larger window. And again, we're getting carried away. And uh, there's a lot of charlatans out there that monetize from this. And suddenly people are connecting the dots and say, oh, you know, fasting helps reduce the chances of cancer. And you're like, oh, that's a little bit too far. And if we do give too much credence to these theories, then people are going to overlook the important parts of health. So someone's then going to think, oh, it's fine if I keep smoking because I don't eat until 1 p.m. <laughs> or the same with the uh, veganism. And from an ethical standpoint, I give them a bit of banter. The vegans are easy targets for a lot of the, a lot of people. Um, but if they want to do that, that's fine. But then people are preaching you know, about all of these benefits to having a plant-based diet. But there are, now people are going to be overlooking a lot of other things and we can't classify someone's health on whether they're omnivorous or they're uh, carnivore or they're uh, vegan. It, it's too subjective. And you could find me five very healthy vegans. I could find you five very healthy omnivorous. But you know, when people say they're making a decision for better health, you can eat in a shortened window and not improve your health. You can give up meat and not improve your health. And then we overlook sleep, we overlook relationships, we overlook sunlight, we overlook activity, all to get in these nuanced debates of who's got the better system. And that's really what really annoys me. That's so true. Mm. Yeah, that makes so so much sense. Because even like it's the whole gluten-free things. So many people have said, oh, well, I'm, I'm cutting out gluten for, for health reasons. But then there are so many gluten-free products that are just filled with 
crap and just because something's and sugar free, and, and sugar yeah it doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy it's the same as vegan it's the same as meat you know like a lot of people eat quality meat and they're healthy a lot of people eat processed meat that's terrible so you know each their own i guess it's uh yeah and I, I think that when we do present solutions to people we i always say to people like imagine health being this big subjective table with many legs to it you know arguing over one leg that supports the table is a waste of time and effort and energy for everyone instead we want to when people come to me i want to rock their table and see where the weakness is hey look you're you're only sleeping five hours a night i would like to address that i want to give you a bedtime you know your amount of steps you do is very small you know those debates we shouldn't really be getting into too late. It might be something where someone goes, James, I get really hungry in the evening. Okay, let's implement a feeding window that doesn't start till 1pm. Not because it's superior, but it might reduce your hunger in the evening before you go to bed. And we've all got to be problem solvers to these people without, uh, everyone becomes very sanctimonious about, you know, my system's better than yours. And that's what the fitness industry has become now. Who's got the best best system to sell, swipe up, all of this? Um, and it is, it's very deflating to see because unfortunately it's, it is the consumers, it is the general pop that are left confused. Um, and that was me when I was younger. So that's why you'll see a little vein coming out of my neck when I'm ranting at these people because ultimately they're misleading where people where I was 10 years ago. So are you kind of saying that you, you like the multi legs of that table, like there are a whole bunch of different things that you can do to improve your health through, um, health uh, through nutrition and uh, fitness. So um, I guess, you know, you having a feeding window could be one of them. Um, trying to reduce the amount of, I don't know, carbohydrates could be a, another one. Um, but you're saying it's not, or it's not just about one leg of the table. It's kind of like finding a variety of things that fit that person best. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, for instance, uh, you know, uh, I say to someone that I want I want you to hit 10,000 steps a day. I think that's a, an appropriate amount for anyone. They say, I only get four. Okay, well, I'd like you to aim for five. Let's do that for the next two weeks. It's not going to be the craziest change ever. Someone um, is very overweight. They're consuming 3,000 calories a day. Cool, I want you to go to 2,500. Is that going to be enough for a deficit? I'm not sure, but let's try that for the next two weeks. And it's all about putting people in water and, and heating it up slowly with these changes they're making. Uh, you know, I don't eat enough vegetables. Okay, well, let's identify one meal where you could have vegetables, probably at dinner when you're with your family or your girlfriend or your partner, where you're more inclined to actually stick to that and make all these small changes, see how they adapt. And then, do you know what? The steps, oh, I didn't find that too hard. Cool, let's try and get another thousand. Cool, the calorie restriction, didn't feel that too restrictive. Cool. And then we can kind of put different areas of effort into different things, see what pushes back, see what doesn't, and over time make those changes. And, and ultimately that will play into someone's health. I'm smoking 20 cigarettes a day. Cool, could you move to 10? Rather than what is quite omnipresent is that people think they need a new diet. And I'm like, no, 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 you have one. It's, it's there already. It, it needs some work. And people flip their lives on their head and diets are very personal things. And then, you know, if someone got your, your order wrong at a restaurant, you would be like, fuck this restaurant. You know, you'd be like, this is rubbish. Yeah, we, we pay people money to give us a plan where they're like, oh, sweet, yogurt for breakfast, nice. Boiled boiled chicken for lunch, how good. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't really address the elephant in the room for a lot of people. And um, it's no wonder they revert. A lot of the things they're sold are boring. And, and you know, it's, it's a very personal thing to us, what we eat and how our lifestyle looks. We can't just have a blanket prescription for everyone. Mm. 
And, okay, so you mentioned it there a bit about um, calories and calorie deficit and stuff like that. Can you explain a little bit about your ethos around calorie counting, maybe tracking your food uh, and a calorie equation? Yeah, so uh, one of the main, well, the, the way fat loss occurs is through a calorie deficit. And I didn't know what this was for many years, which is why it's now become kind of like my slogan. People said to me, I needed to do this, needed to do that. But no one ever told me this underpinning principle of how fat loss occurred. And the more I look into the fitness industry now, the more I see so many initiatives keeping it quiet because it's almost like as soon as your client understands that their requirement for you diminishes. So Slimming World will use sins. Uh, You know, a lot of other people will talk about whatever language they can to dress it up. Now, if we earn more than we spend, money sits in the bank. That's a financial equation. It is oversimplified. And if we spend more than we earn, we go into a deficit and an overdraft. When we accumulate body fat, it is through consuming more than what we expend on a daily basis. And every person's different. Height, weight, age, uh, gender, genetics, sure. But that's not a, not, not a scapegoat for a start. So when a lot of people look at fat or think about body fat, they think, our oh, toxins, cleanse, health. Really, it's just stored energy. And the reason you're storing energy is a fantastic protective mechanism. One, for times where we may not have food, I think from an evolutionary standpoint. And two, that our circulatory system is not for storing energy, it's for transporting it. So when we put too much into our circulatory system, our fat cells take it along. And an analogy I would use for people is that if you've ever been to the UK and been on the London Underground, when there's too many people on it, it is the worst place to be in the world. And any type of public transportation is, is very much the same. So when we overconsume calories from food, when there are too many passengers, it's amazing that our fat cells take it away and store it and look after it. And in essence, where the, the health issues occur through being overweight and obese is that if that energy has nowhere to go, your circulatory system can't do what it needs to effectively. And this is through sedentary lifestyles and obesity. So implementing a calorie deficit to someone, although some people say, I once got criticized by saying that saying calorie deficit to someone was like telling a depressed person to cheer up. <laughs> and I was like, I, I understand the, the 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 complexities a little bit more, but saying to people, look, the most important thing that people understand for fat loss is there are too many passengers getting on your trains. I need you to focus on putting less passengers on and expending more through exercise, no matter what it is. And when people do understand that in simple terms, I think that a calorie deficit is more about turning up to the fridge and opening it, realizing you're not that hungry and closing it again. Because there are, you know, for instance, the human body doesn't absorb uh, 100% of calories from almonds. And when we eat protein, a certain amount of the calorie content is expended through digestion. So you've got these like calorie Nazis coming along like, no, you know, technically this, technically that, but that's not what calorie count is about. And what gets measured gets improved. And even getting someone to have a notepad and pen, when they write down what they eat throughout the day, suddenly they look at it and they go, fuck, I'm eating more than I thought. And it's the same way that when people manage their finances, if you're if you're going under as a business, your accountant comes in, right, Excel spreadsheet, and the hard truth is there. Your Amex statement, the hard truth is there. But when we come to uh, calorie counting, it's, it's a very quick subject for people to uh, make a taboo oh no you're not calorie counting that's bad for your bad for your mental health bad for your self-esteem but if i was to leave a tub of vegemite in a british household you guys come around you're like oh good man james on the old vegemite 
English person goes, yeah, that's disgusting. You shouldn't do that. People that like it don't comment. People that have a bad experience with it won't won't let you hear the end of it. Yeah. So that's why we kind of have a bad stigma surrounding calorie counting, I believe. So yeah, the, totally. I mean, the, wait, firstly, I just have to address okay, the Vegemite sorry. thing. Oh, um, yeah. Here in New Zealand, uh, Kiwis will go on about Marmite being being the one instead of Vegemite. Yeah, Vegemite's more of an Australian thing, but it's a, it's a common misconception. We yeah. won't hold it against you. I never saw Marmite when I was in New Zealand. It's not a big deal, man. I prefer Vegemite anyway. <laughs> yeah, same. I prefer Vegemite too, but yeah. it's a bit of a it's a bit of a thing, I guess, isn't it? It's interesting. Yeah, the the whole calorie counting um, world. Um, it, it is like you said. It is a bit of a taboo thing, and there is uh, definitely a movement towards um, people uh, saying that calorie counting can be uh, detrimental to mental health. And I'm not saying that it isn't for some people, but I, um, my personal experience with calorie counting was I did it, um, well, a few years ago, I, I kept a little food diary and I counted my calories. And for me, I found it really, um, interesting because I started to learn, um, about how many calories in the macronutrient profile of the different foods that I was eating. And I mean, I haven't counted any calories in the last maybe 10 years, um, because that's just not what I choose to do, but I do, um, have a rough idea about the macronutrient profile of the different foods that I'm eating because of that period of time when I was counting the calories in the food. Kind of sets you up, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's really cool. I, I like it. It's um, I think it's good for for anyone to to learn that sort of stuff at some point in their life. I mean, for uh, me, I, I use an analogy like tracing paper when you're at school. Teacher comes along like, hey, look, we're going to use the lines under here. You're going to write. It's going to improve your habits. Depending on your adaptation to this new skill, we'll pull it away. Cool, here's your ink pen. See you later. And we have a lot of these people intuitive eating. Now, the intuitive eating movement crew logged their food for five years. They competed in 17 physique comps. Then they come off the back of it with body dysmorphia and suddenly they go into the anti-diet world and they're like, listen to your body, you know, you, we should know, oh, you know, skinny culture, diet culture, stop screaming skinny at me. You're like, listen, no one was having a pop at you when you were the neurotic person, anorexic and fake tan. Like no one was having a pop at them then. You logged yeah. for six years. You've now come out the, the other side of it and you're not intuitively eaten. You're not because you logged for the, all those years. And then people were like, no, this is my system. It works. For a lot of people, they need education about that. And this this goes both ways. A cheeseburger from McDonald's is 300 calories. And when you weigh that up to a protein bar that's 230, I'm not saying that one's better than the other. You know, someone might, associate 15 times more guilt with the cheeseburger and when i say to them look you eat your chicken you eat veg they they get to the end of the day they're like i've got 300 calories spare you know i really fancy i go yeah have a cheeseburger have a coke zero you're fine and eradicating this guilt can over time positively influence someone's diet where they don't feel the need to have these cheat days and these binge days or whatever it is and i actually promote people for 20 percent of their diet to be a bit of junk food and the same way that even for myself, I'm very work orientated, but I like to spend 10, 20% of my day playing PlayStation, playing Call of Duty. And as long as I get all my tasks done, I've done all my emails, no one can come along and be like, that's bad for your business. Because the Call of Duty wasting time, getting in arguments with 12 year old kids in America <laughs> is an integral, crucial part of the other 80% of me being so switched on during the day. So I think that the 
notion of that is goes both ways. A Big Mac is about 580. Are you going to get twice as much enjoyment from a Big Mac as a cheeseburger or two cheeseburgers you split throughout the day? Mm. Yeah, I really like that actually, because I guess staying sane is is just as important as being in shape. But I have a question around the um, calorie deficit stuff. So say um, you're eating a thousand calories a day, you know, I'm sure it would be more, but um, does that mean that you would have to exercise and burn at least a thousand calories a day? Because that's, that's quite a lot, right? So uh, the majority of the calories we burn on a daily basis are burnt through doing nothing. So uh, if we Handy. had a ten, if we had a ten-story building, uh, this ten stories represents how many calories you burn in a day. About six floors are burnt through something called BMR, which is called basal metabolic rate, and that's through circulatory system regeneration of cells, digestion. Uh, actually, digestion is different. Uh, breathe in, laying in bed. So if you get the flu or you're in uh, bed and you're not feeling well and you don't eat for a few days, people lose tremendous amounts of weight, and that's because even at rest we burn uh, up resting quite a lot of uh, energy just laying in bed. So those six floors are known as non. Well, it's called resting energy expenditure. There you go. Sorry, I'm getting mixed up now. So the other 40%, the other top floors are known as non-resting energy expenditure. So the other four floors are uh, expended through other means, but only one of them is through gym training or training. So one floor out of 10 is our exercise on a daily basis. And again, this is very important for people to understand because if I was to calculate your calories, let's say, and I say for fat loss, I'm putting you on 2200 calories a day if i put you in a 15 percent calorie deficit from that i'm not going to do the maths on that but imagine that has uh, already got a 15 percent deficit what i say to my clients is if you train excellent if you don't train that's also fine your deficit just shrank to the day to five percent so that people don't beat themselves up for missing the gym over time obviously the more workouts you hit the faster your fat loss will occur now the interesting other couple of flaws here that haven't been made up, one is called thermic effective feeding. So it's the amount of calories that are expended through digestion and storage of macronutrients. So if I put you on a high protein diet, you are going to burn more calories breaking down protein. Protein is quite taxing to the body. And often if you ever go to like a churrasco barbecue uh, meal or you get in a meat coma, if you ever go to barbecue and consume a lot of meat, suddenly you're in this like, oh my God, I'm, I'm really tired. I'm going to have to retreat to the sofa. You get the meat so sweats. Yeah. yeah, meat sweats. Uh, we produce a lot of heat breaking down protein. So if you were to have a few hundred calories, let's say a uh, hundred calories of protein, about 30% of that is lost in digestion. So we've got this kind of like magical effect where we give people protein. It fills them up the most. It's technically the lowest macronutrient food. And also, uh, although everyone's going to think I'm some calorie like uh, fanatic, when you give someone a protein target, you often see a spontaneous improvement in the quality of their diet. Because no one's just eating a chicken breast on a fork. Not normal anyway. So suddenly you're right, okay, I'll have a bit of potato, I'll get some frozen veg or whatever it is, and they make a meal out of it. Now, interestingly, we have the four floors that are non-resting. One, maybe two of which, is if we combine the thermic effect feeding and the gym training. The other one and a half to two floors is something called NEAT, which is the amount of calories we burn not in the gym. So uh, your NEAT uh, expenditure is non-planned movement so when we get people to take the stairs on an ongoing basis that increases their knee when we get someone to walk up escalators it increases their knee if you give someone a stand-up desk at work it increases their knee 
getting people to get off the the bus a few stops earlier increases their meat because it's not gym training it's not stuff that's done at rest and it's not their protein feeding now interestingly enough when you diet people their bmr doesn't change much because they're the same height same weight same age their gym training doesn't change much because they're still going to the gym for their workout the thermic effect may increase because they're doing protein but the first adaptation we see is people's neat decreases and if i was to uh, cover up your fitbit or your garmin and cut your calories in half, you would see your step count and your fidgeting shrink without even knowing about it. When people diet, they're more inclined to stand on an escalator, more inclined to take the lift, and more inclined to sit at any given opportunity. So when we look at, this is a really long-winded answer, I do apologize. When we look at the calories that we expend in a daily basis to make this deficit, to get to a point, only a small amount of it's actually training, which is why I say to people, use the gym to promote getting stronger, and to work towards something that's probably going to be a bit more beneficial to you long-term. Resistance training is going to benefit bone health, muscle health, especially after the ages of 30 when these start to diminish a bit, which is depressing, but it is true, it's the fact. And then if you want to expend calories at a low-intensity uh, means of doing it, instead of walking stationary on a, on a treadmill, look to increase your need through taking the stairs at every opportunity, refusing to get in the lifts, making sure that you're uh, parking the furthest away from the shops. And those habits over time pay the largest dividends into energy expenditure. I can't stand the fact that some people would go to the gym just to expend calories when 90% of them are expended outside of the gym anyway. <laughs> So, the, you know, so you see them, they're like hamsters on treadmills. I'm in there like, no, that's, that's not the approach. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's uh, such a great analogy using that um, building yeah. to sum up <laughs> your metabolism. Here's a quick message from our sponsors, Series Organics. Have you thought about what goes into your food? Does the thought of artificial additives in your food put you off? Organic food is not only free from chemicals, but it's also supporting the farmers to create a more sustainable future. Series Organics have been in the business of supplying Kiwis with easy access to organic food for nearly 40 years. They have a wide range of wholesome products from delicious snacks to pantry essentials. You name it, they'll have an organic option. You'll find them at your local supermarket or health food store. Just ask. Otherwise, check them out at www.series.co.nz. That's C-E-R-E-S.co.nz. I wore a Fitbit for a few years and I found that um, it definitely increased like my behavior. So I would always try and get more steps than my friends who I was, you know, friends with on the Fitbit app. And, um, Doing your little work week hustles. Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. No, stuff like that is great for improving uh, improving your neat, like you said, and maybe yeah, things like stand-up desks and things. You talk about um, just like your resting metabolic rate. And so... Is it true that sort of a, a larger muscle, muscle mass um, causes you to your metabolism to be increased? And if so, then would doing stuff like your strength training, um, stuff at the gym that increases your muscle mass, would that be more beneficial than in, in total to your metabolic rate? From what I understand, uh, muscle is an active tissue, so it requires calories to exist, but so is body fat. So body fat's also an active tissue that requires calories to exist. Our understanding uh, or my understanding of the amount of calories that muscle burns at rest have been overplayed for a lot of years. And we've now found that the differences are rather negligible for us to lean back on. Not only that, the amount of muscle that we could gain in, say, a year wouldn't really impact that by a, a huge amount of calories. Uh, even when we look at building muscle, 
You know, uh, a lot of people talk about bulking. And it's hypothesized that it takes about 2,600 calories to build a pound of muscle. And let's say you had the best training, the best genetics, the best everything, and you were to aim to build a pound of muscle in a month, which for most people is probably unlikely and impossible out of their first year of lifting. You would look at a surplus of 90 calories a day. When people look at that, it's like half a Kit Kat. It's not even half of a protein bar. When people realize the minuscule differences we would need to build muscle, let alone maintain it, I think that, you know, bodybuilders typically, when we look at them and their large caloric intakes, it's because the amount of training they're doing and how efficient they've become at training their muscles and dumping stored energy out of their muscles, that's the the really, uh, that's the part that's impressive. Not quite so much the muscle they have at rest. They're very well trained to a lot of frequency and a lot of time in the gym. So when you've got a guy at high intensity doing 90 minutes a day, that's why their caloric needs are so high, not so much because they have the muscle at rest. Either way, I think that we're, we're in this debate where we're trying to promote resistance training to people. And uh, especially... When I'm in the gyms and there's a, a chick doing hit or les mills or whatever it is or spin, I don't get on well with spin classes. Uh, I want to talk to them, you know, osteoporosis, degeneration of bone health, it's coming. Sarcopenia, degeneration of muscle is coming. And I'm sometimes crass and I say to people like, one day you're really going to struggle to take a shit and wipe <laughs> your ass. And it's going to happen. And people are I like, truly oh my God. Believe- <laughs> yeah. Did he Someone's just say like, that to me? <laughs> One day, and I think the resistance training is the sensible, uh, linear, progressive pursuit that can be inclusive for, for many years. When you're 50 and 60, you may not want to be exposed to that impact or the repetition on a spin bike. Um, and, you know, I, I always that's always going to be the, the nucleus of a training regime for me. It's funny, like I've progressed more um, towards just resistance training as being my main type of training. I used to do a lot of HIT Um and quite frequently, um, some high-intensity interval training. And um, at the time, I really liked it. This was probably when I was mid-20s. Um, but now, and I, I still do it every now and then, but it's far less frequent because I find that it just, I don't know, like I just don't enjoy it as much and I and I find it a bit too draining and a bit too intense. And I, I guess that's my body telling me that maybe it's not all that healthy for me to be doing that frequently. Well, it's quite frequently. stressful, isn't mm, it? yeah. If you're time poor, I understand that some people, they go, James, I've only got 20 minutes to train. And I appreciate that. But I agree with you where my energy is very important to me. And on days I'm tired. Even now, I'd rather go. I said to the lads I lived with just then, I prefer running 10 or 15K than I do running five. Because when I run 5K, I put myself under the cosh of getting a fast time. And I end up, my heart rates up. I'm going for it. That last kilometer it wipes me out for two, three days. I do a 10 or 15K. I stay in zone two on my heart rate. I'm skipping down the coastal. And I, even though the duration is longer, the intensity is lower. I feel like my recovery is quicker. I feel like I, I actually get more enjoyment from it. As far as a calorie burn, I, I actually expend more calories. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I prefer draw, drawing it out. Or some days I'd rather do 20,000 steps than a 20-minute hit workout. Mm. Yeah, totally. And I think a lot of that... Um at least for me, I'm also similar. I like to do long, slow duration um, aerobic activity when I do it. Um, is a lot of it comes down to my mental health and how much I enjoy that aspect of it. Uh, and I just find that I've, I've 
just enjoy a long, a long, slower run so much more. But it also feels a little bit more approachable, I think. Like if you're about to kind of get ready to, to do something kind of strenuous, say you're going to do a big hip workout or a or a fast 5K run, you think like, all right, you know, I've like I've got to, you know, build up the courage, I guess. But if you're going to go and do something that's a little bit more relaxing, I feel like you're kind of more inclined to just get up and do it because it doesn't really seem like as much of an effort, if you know what I mean. That's why I'm, I'm a massive fan of setting people's kind of base expectations that, hey, I need you to do 10,000 steps today and go for like a one hour walk because that's your baseline. If they fancy going for a run, sweet, you've moved up. If they fancy doing gym training or, you know, going for a swim, they've moved up, but they've always got that baseline. And I honestly think that if someone's motivated to do well with fat loss or improving their, their bit of health, they should want to go for a one hour walk every day. And then you say to them, look, let's get you a nice pair of headphones and a good podcast. Like, you know, Every, uh, I'm, I'm, it's also a great time to listen to audiobooks, the lo- the longer duration exercise. So sometimes, even if I'm not up for a 10K run, I go, James, mate, you're going to hit your step count and get an hour of an audiobook in, go out. And I get more enjoyment from, you know, I come back, my body's wrecked, but I've got an hour of learning in, mm. or, you know, I've listened to a new audiobook and I've hit my step count so I can play more PlayStation. Yeah. <laughs> that makes for one happy James. Yeah, doing yeah. it for the Call of Duty. Yeah. So, okay, James, so say um, say someone's listening to this and they're just, yeah, like, what would you say to someone who came up to you and was like, can you give me an overview of what you would recommend to your average person to help them improve their health or potentially lose weight if they feel like they need to lose weight? Yeah, I think it would start with, um, first of all, just for a few weeks, monitor what you eat as far as caloric intake. Any recommendations uh, on how to do that? uh, Just use my fitness pal. So even uh, although I've got a pretty uh, advanced app, I still tell people to use my fitness pal. I don't see myself being able to compete with it. It's free to use. Um, Use that. And again, a bit like uh, exporting your bank statements. doesn't matter if you're spending too much. doesn't matter what you're doing. Let's just get a log of it and have a look. Then in a few weeks' time, you know, when people look back, they can see where the issues arise, one of which being weekends. And it's not that I want people to stop enjoying weekends. It's just sometimes we need to make up for that during the week. And I'm sure that everyone that's blown a big weekend has come to work on Monday or Tuesday and thought, fuck, I best make some sandwiches for today because I spent all my money at the weekend. And so giving people an understanding of that. Step count, I think, is very important for mental health as well. And anyone that's ever worn a fitness tracker, they hit their 10,000, they feel that little bit more accomplished for the day. Sleep, uh, seven to nine hours. That's a real, it's a non-negotiable, but I don't have kids. So I do empathize with those that, that do have them. Any any uh, quick tips that you give to people to help improve that sleep? Um, uh, pre- pregnancy pillow. Right. I, I've slept with a pregnancy pillow for about two years now. <laughs> it's changed my life. Explain this to us. So it's a long, thin, tubular pillow. And I'm a side sleeper. So, you know, it is... And I, I travel with it. So uh, whenever I go anywhere, I can't trust some hotel's pillow game. Like I'm like, it's too soft, too hard, whatever. Pregnancy pillow, go- that's a huge thing to travel with. It's like yeah, another got person. One. I'm going to use it tonight, actually. <laughs> but, so my backpack's pretty big. And the whole backpack is just a pregnancy pillow. And uh, <laughs> when I flew home to the UK, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to stretch my legs out on the plane. And I pulled my pregnancy pillow out. And this Etihad, Etihad's air steward, she looks at me, she goes, is that a pregnancy pillow? I went, yeah. She went, fair play. 
It's pillows you get on planes aren't that, aren't that big. Um, and I think so, wait, so how do you use place. it? Do you kind of put it between your legs or what do you do? Yeah, between do my legs, cuddle? side sleeper. I also use it to bolster the, the shitty pillow you get on the plane. So like everyone's there on, on planes like falling asleep on their back. I'm full sideways. I'm out of it. Um, and I get criticized by my friends, but they're, I think they're just jealous. Uh, room temperature is a big one. Uh, I think we're better off, well, we are better off being a bit too cool than we are too hot. And even in Australia and New Zealand, where the houses are not typically built to sustain uh, heat or cold, when it does get hot in the summer, a little aircon unit to pull out for a couple months or a fan, um, even when it's cooler, like right now, we're, we're maybe like 12 degrees, maybe low in the evening, I still have a fan on. Um, and yeah, and also a bed setup, I think is really important. Where a lot of, I, I did this myself, I neglected my bed setup. My business was doing really well, but my mattress and, and bed cost me $80. I got it from Gumtree. And I was eyeballing very expensive trainers. And I was thinking, James, mate, you've got to sort out your flipping mattress. Um, so yeah, as far as sleep. And, and another thing is, a lot of people don't realize on their, uh, let's say they're listening to this podcast, there's a sleep timer on Spotify and on Apple, if you scroll down a bit. Every night when I go to bed, usually Joe Rogan or Neil deGrasse Tyson, I put on 15 minutes. And if I feel really awake, I go to bed even earlier and put on 30 minutes. So I get comfortable and I just listen. And when that voice stops, it feels like I've nailed a few Valium and I'm gone. And some nights I get really excited. I go to bed like 9 p.m., sometimes even 8.30. And I think, yeah, half an hour podcast. And if I fall asleep through it, I just rewind the next night when I get back. But I wake up and I found something out about astrophysics or Joe Rogan's had a very interesting guy on. And I wake up and I come downstairs. It's like, guys, Elon Musk's given away all his possessions. They're like, what? Where's, where's this come from? <laughs> it just came to me in the night. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's quite a good tip, actually. You might yeah, try like it. Okay, so, so that's, that's a, a bit of help for someone with their nutrition, um, with their, their neat activity. Um, this sleep. What about the fitness or activity side of things? Uh, yeah, the fitness side of things is uh, a little bit more uh, advanced. I think that people really need to work backwards with what their ultimate goal is, but they have to try and find some way to seek progressive overload, which is a fancy way of saying just a way to progress. So a lot of people go into the gym, they get bored because they're not sure what they should be doing. And in essence, we just want to keep progressing forward. And it doesn't always have to be more weight. We could challenge ourselves with different exercise types, rep ranges, adding a pause, adding whatever it is. Um, and I think that ultimately people need to feel challenged in that way. But, but one mistake I made was that I spent a lot of years training for physique. And I realized it's a bit of a black hole. You're never actually going to be happy with the way you look. It's a lot easier to be happy and content with the way you perform. So that's why CrossFit has done so well over the years. And although some people give it a bad rap, it's been um, a big, big key player in uh, a lot of happiness I took from training. And I got into martial arts and jiu-jitsu and again, uh, absolutely loved it as it gave me a progression that wasn't physique-based. It was definitely performance-based. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Um, I think that's so true as well because basically we the only reason we would be working out for a physique-based or superficial um, kind of reason is because we're comparing ourselves to others. And generally what happens is we're, we might improve a little bit, but we're never really – I mean, sometimes we compare ourselves to 
what we were like, you know, a year ago or whatever. But most of the time we're just comparing ourselves to other people on Instagram or some sort of somewhere. And you kind of just like get to a stage and then you'll start to compare yourself to someone who's even slimmer or even more muscly or, you know, whatever it is. And you're right, it is a black hole and it kind of just never ends. Well, so the, with social media, where we're at, at the moment, we've never lived in a time where it's easier or, you know, say someone across the world has got the best situation ever, genetics, physique, upbringing, whatever it is, we get to expose ourselves to that so easily. Like we can access any corner of the planet. You can find the slimmest person, the most muscular person. You can find the richest person. You know, even 30 years ago, the wealthiest men and women on earth were, were not known about. But now, because of their luxury lifestyles and their Bugatti Veyrons and their private jets, we don't just get to see the jet. We get to watch their story and see them sat on it. We get to know what the seat looks like, what champagne they're drinking, how their setup looks in a nightclub. What would usually have been oblivious to us before is now right in front of us under our nose and we can't help but compare ourselves to it. And the same goes with physique, same goes with performance. You watch a CrossFit documentary on Netflix, you think, fucking hell, I couldn't do one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a crazy world, isn't it? Because I guess as much as we um, complain about that, aspect of social media it's like we seek it out you know like yeah, why do, as we? as humans are we so obsessed with other people's lives it's just a really kind of bizarre fact i guess that we just love seeing what people that we perceive as having more than us what they're doing like what their life is like it's yeah, yeah why is it's, it i don't know yeah it's really odd um but just on uh, genetics, you've you've briefly kind of touched on it a couple of times how how important is uh, eating based on your genetics. How important is that? Because the reason that I ask is that Art and I did some um, genetic testing and both of us had quite different results. And obviously we eat the same thing most of the time because we work together and we live together. Uh, so how do you get around that? Or how do you know what you're supposed to be doing? I think uh, with genetics, why I say people turn over calories and nutrients at slightly different rates and even identical twins when overfed can gain weight at different speeds wow. so uh it's really interesting to see these kind of differences that do exist but by no means you know i personally don't think that uh genetic testing for food types is something that people would need to do i know that there are certain cultures that don't uh absorb dairy that well i know dairy is really just like a, a kind of westernized food that's tolerated and i'm sure that if we were to consume some asian cuisines that we probably wouldn't tolerate them too well um i would probably seek people to uh get feedback on what they eat, really how they feel after it and how they have it i'm not sure of the technology that we have available to determine what people are uh, going to be better off eating. I've, I've not really come across any hindrances. You you mentioned for celiac and uh, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which uh, is another big group of people that uh, are upset with it. But yeah, and, and apart from those main things that are going to set people off, I think people should just eat what makes them feel not, makes them feel good. Mm. Yeah, makes yeah. Sense. I um I like that approach, and I think that's um, kind of ties in nicely with your book. Um, not a diet book. Can you tell us a little bit more about that book, why you wrote it? Yeah, so I've, there's so many diet books out there and mm. there's so many times I've been in airports looking at bookshelves and just cringing. I was like, look at all you bastards with your systems, with you this, with you that. <laughs> with the, you know, we got anti-diet over here, which is telling overweight people that they're fine. 
being overweight or the, the skinny culture. Then we got PTs bunching recipes together and calling it a solution. And I was so disappointed with all of the offerings. And I've read quite a lot of these fitness books. And even some of them, I'm like, everything's factually correct in some of them, but I feel I do not feel inspired one bit. So I took it upon myself to put together a, a, a book that wasn't about a superior system, that was more about banishing bullshit from people. And it, it's not a diet book. It's it's just an, inf an informative book that can empower people. I talk about relationships in it and... Uh, because I've had conversations with clients before where they're really struggling to reduce their caloric intake. And when I get to talk to them, I'm like, you really dislike your job and you're in a relationship that doesn't serve you. I'm not surprised you're overeating. And they sit back and they go, yeah, you're right. You know, the, you know, I come home from a job I hate to live in a house with a partner that I hate as well. And I, I say to them, I'm like, unless you address that, I'm not surprised you're seeking happiness from food every night. So there needs to be an intervention for these people. And I can't just shout calorie deficit at someone that's not not happy. And surprisingly so, especially from the book tour, I met a lot of people that left these jobs and left these relationships. And they're a lot happier now. You know, and if you look at when someone really gets a hold of their health and, and their life, sometimes they realize that their partner was not supportive, that they uh, were, you know, dragging weight, or they might have been working a highly stressful job. And, you know, trading your hours of the day for money and also losing your health is not really a good deal with the job. And, you know, even if some people take a financial pay cut, they were probably just saving up money to buy things they didn't need to impress people they didn't like. So <laughs> it's it's one of those things where I really use the book to nail people on that. So, you know, ultimately how we feel should become or should be more important than anything else. So uh yeah, the book was more like an empowerment book than a diet book. I love that. And where can people find it? Uh if they type in not a diet book or James Smith PT, uh my mum and dad for you know, flipping, calling me James Smith. I think to him all the time, I'm like, you had one job, you know, <laughs> you, you knew the surname was Smith. You know, they may not, they may not have expected that I would have ended up quite popular. I suppose they didn't really see social media was coming, but uh, yeah, if they type in James Smith or, or head to my website, jamessmithacademy.com, they'll be uh, bombarded with where to get the book. Yeah. Cool. I, I really like that actually, because I think it's kind of like a, uh, yeah, I've, you know, I've been through, um, a period of like I've tried out so many different diets not because I was really looking for something to uh, lose weight or anything like that but because I kind of just wanted to experiment with them all because I've seen so many people raving about them and I was like cool I'm just going to give them a go and see how I feel so I've tried out heaps of different things but like I've really just sort of come full circle in I guess the 10 to 15 years that I've been experimenting with health and wellness and um, and nutrition. And it, and for me, it really is all about, you know, they're kind of like everything in moderation uh, mentality. And I guess like what your book is kind of about is it's like kind of addressing the, the behavioral and sort of psychological aspects of why it might be difficult for someone to adhere to a everything in moderation type of lifestyle. And maybe that's why other like these restrictive diets become popular and get put in places because these people struggle with their own, I guess, um, you know, control over themselves. So they need these really strict guidelines to try and help them with that. Mm. Yeah. And I think also the, uh, it sounds weird, but the majority of the fitness industry is not the right place to look because 
we want to avoid disordered eating as much as we can. Unfortunately, the most of it exists in the fitness industry. Uh, you know, we, there are dishonest, there's dishonesty and narcissism everywhere you look in that industry. And it's also to get people to move away from that. Everyone, you know, someone wants to get in shape. They go, oh, I want to lose loads of weight. I want to get a six pack. You're like, oh, you probably don't want a six pack. You know, uh, it's one of those things. Yeah, we can give it to you if you want, but we're, we're going to make you pretty miserable. We're going to get you to a happy place. Then we're just going to keep going. And it's really about realigning people with their goals. I'm like, you know, you're, you're, you're very overweight now. I'm sure you'd love to run a 10K, feel healthy and chase your kids around the garden. They're like, actually, yeah, that's what I want. They don't want to be hungry or, you know, looking at their clock and oh, I can't eat for another four hours or whatever it is. Mm. So, um, yeah, realigning people's goals is really important as well. You know, like uh, I'm sure in New Zealand, every, every man, maybe a lot of women as well, I'm sure, they grow up wanting to play for the All Blacks. Then they play at a high level. They get fucking smashed in contact and go, do you know what? Just going to play for the local town. <laughs> just going to play for the local town this is great you know I don't want to have to deal with these big Polynesians coming down the wing that's what <laughs> yeah. this this is a personal anecdote if you don't if you didn't realise until I went to New Zealand I was like I want to play for England play for North Targa I was like you can keep your rugby I'm going back to the pub <laughs> and that's enough <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it that's yeah that's why I stopped playing rugby was um, well it was just because I keep yeah I keep getting smashed <laughs> yeah yeah fair enough yeah. Oh, it's hard on your body isn't it um Hey, so you are you planning to come over to New Zealand? Is that right? Yeah, I want to. Uh, I think that we're going to open up our borders uh, quite soon. I reckon Australia and New Zealand are going to uh, chummy up a bit. I I love New Zealand. I went back to Queenstown last year, um, and one thing that I try and tell my friends here is just how accommodating Kiwis are. Like I I really like Kiwis, and not just ends because I'm a podcast way better than Aussies. Um, <laughs> People were inviting me for barbecues and all of this. And I'd love to go around New Zealand again. I'm going to definitely come there for some events next year um, with B2B, but also uh, there'll be another book tour, which will be coming through there. But yeah, I can't wait to come across. Uh, I've never actually been to the North Island. Uh, so I, I think oh, I've got a bit Island's of a bias. Great. Yeah, I need to uh, see a lot more of it. And I might see how many barbecues I can actually accept the invites to. Because, uh, yeah, man, do a, do a barbecue tour. When you yeah. when you come through someone's hometown, like you're in Timaru, someone's like, "What are you doing in Timaru? You got to come for a barbie." I'm like, "I've never met you before, but you know, all right, let's do it." And uh, yeah. yeah, get your sausages from the supermarket and off you go. Yeah. So, what sort what sort of events would you be coming over for? So uh, next year in February, I'll be promoting book two, uh, which I'm finished. Oh, so you're writing out book right. now. Yeah, it's. Um, uh, I can't. I don't know how much I can tell you about, it, but there was a lot of elements in the first book that really resonated with people that weren't so fitness orientated. So uh, the second book is going to talk a lot more about things outside of fitness, confidence, comfort zones, things like that. Because in my own line of work, you, I've really had to break down a lot of barriers. This is quite embarrassing. My friends put a wash on. You could probably hear some sun washer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> beefing in the background um so yeah the the second book is about instilling these other values into people that isn't about calories it's not about macros might help them with a job interview or asking for a pay rise or dealing with relationships so um yeah i'll be around there doing those promotions i know that um south africa and new zealand are kind of the nations we definitely want to explore to mm-hmm. as far as business to business uh every now and then i like to do events for personal trainers because they they often make a lot of mistakes, again, that I used to make with their approach to social media, how they market themselves. I mean, not a lot of personal trainers realize that they should limit the amount of hours they do and put their rates up when they're full. 
And when you tell them that, they sit there and they're like, oh, that's how we charge more money. So I like doing those <laughs> events where uh, I literally, I come into the events and I'm like, guys, you shouldn't be working weekends. You know, you shouldn't be working <laughs> after 5 p.m. And the PTs are like, what? I'm like, yeah, you're allowed a weekend, are we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I, um, I love doing these like uh, talks. So I'll be over there definitely doing them for some PTs there. Awesome. Cool, man. Okay, so if people want to... Um, find you on social media so they can keep um yeah so they know when you're coming over um so they can find out about your new book um or even just maybe hit you up about um working with you as a pt or your um james smith academy uh how do they find you uh i'd say to everyone to go to jamesmithacademy.com and not only can you find the book there but there's uh, an email sign up and i'll uh drop frequent emails to let people know where i'll be all those and they'll hopefully be very enjoyable so everything you need from the website brilliant man and um for people who play call of duty how do they track you down so they can play you (laughs) well john i made this mistake where i i was giving it large on my story and i was like anyone wants a game i'll play a game with you and i was like any you got kids i'll kick their ass uh and then i got about 250 friend requests on playstation and now when i'm trying to play with my mates they keep jumping in so like uh, and sometimes i can incriminate myself with what i'm talking about so last thing I need is someone recording what I'm talking about on PlayStation and bloody selling it to the media. So for that reason, I'm keeping it under wraps. Where Fair I, enough. I, I kind of messed up by making my gamer tag James Smith PT as well, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's classic. And um, just to finish off, we've got one final question for you. And that question is, if you could have three foods and three foods only for the rest of your life, what would they be? Pizza for number one. Never, never Great get bored choice. of pizza. Uh, a pie from New Zealand, probably. Uh, they, they, I used to have this mint and lamb pie from the oh, South Island. Yeah, very which was uh, bougie, which was, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it was kind of nice. Um, and third one. Well, this is quite. It's quite difficult, really. Do you get my muscle chef over there? Mm, no, no, like, no. But like we've a, got similar kind of meals. We have this uh, like crumb chicken and it's, it's like crack. Can't stop eating it. Really? It's pretty, it's pretty much breaded chicken, you know, schnitzel, <laughs> palmy, whatever people call it. But yeah, probably probably those three and they'd be the ones that keep me going. I love it. Pizza, a lamb and mint pie and crumbed chicken. Yeah. that's yeah. I love that because that's probably the most, um, I guess, unhealthy of the three foods that we've had from any of our guests and it's from someone who is a personal trainer. I love it. Yeah, it's, so yeah it's, it's all it's all just uh, you know I'm I'm technically I'm a I'm an obese person in a fitness person's body, uh, <laughs> and it's it's more you know like uh, when people say that their drinking team has a rugby problem, <laughs> so uh, you know, I'd say that's probably my approach to fitness. If you know, the, the I've created this academy and this whole uh, all this knowledge has come from me preventing myself from being obese. So yeah. you know a lot a lot of people are wired. They go, oh, I like the chicken, I like the broccoli. No, no, no. Pass me the pizza. Yeah. <laughs> no, surely no one likes, like no one's going to choose chicken and broccoli. Say say if like pizza wasn't going to make you put on weight or something. No one's going to choose chicken and broccoli over pizza. Mm, Would they? Nah, not. For well, taste preference. Yeah. Are we talking about just a plain broccoli, plain chicken? Yeah, just Run yeah, of the no, mill. No, no, no one's going to do chicken that. Chicken and broccoli. No, no one's going to. The, anyway. you got you got the issue then of the PTs that want to appear professional. They want everyone to think they're legit. They're like, yeah, broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> so I, like. I love it. I dream about I it. Don't, I don't believe them. 
<laughs> Me neither. Oh, that's awesome, man. Really appreciate your time. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, James. See you, buddy. See ya. Thanks for listening. Thank you indeed. This podcast is brought to you by Raw Collective. And for any updates on our podcast or any of the other podcasts under Raw, head to rawcollective.co or you can follow them on Instagram at raw underscore collective.co. But wait, before you go, please subscribe to our podcast and also rate it and review it. Leave a nice little message and leave a smiley face, maybe an emoji. (laughs) (laughs) Or tell your friends. It's super easy. It takes two seconds and it would mean so much to us. Bye. Bye.